Welcome to Boston Children's Answers Kids Health. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Arnold. As a mom and a doctor, I'm passionate about helping kids stay healthy and happy. So join me as I chat with other Boston Children's experts to find answers for you and your family. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to discuss a topic near and dear to my heart as a neonatologist, the topic of cleft lip and cleft palate. So let's start off like we always do with a question from a family. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm pregnant and was just informed at my 20-week ultrasound that my baby has a cleft lip and may also have cleft palate. How would this affect her life? It's very stressful to know that your child has a medical diagnosis. And today, the diagnosis we're going to talk about is something called cleft lip and cleft palate. As a neonatologist, this is actually a diagnosis that I've had the privilege of caring for patients with. And many of our parents have many, many questions when it comes to having a baby with a cleft lip and or palate. Here to help us discuss this today is Dr. Carolyn Rogers-Visna. She's an attending physician at Boston Children's Hospital's Department of Plastics and Oral Surgery. Thank you, Dr. Rogers-Visna, for coming today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Please just call me Dr. Rogers. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Dr. Rogers. So I like to start each of our discussions asking our expert why they went into the profession they went into. And so I'm just a little curious if you could share with us and our audience how you decided to choose the profession of plastic surgery. It's a big one. Well, that's a great question. And it was really serendipity. I started out interested actually in neonatology when I was in medical school, a little plug there. And I had the opportunity to work with a couple of people over the course of that early training who really influenced me. And one of them was dual board certified in otolaryngology and plastic surgery. And he really got me interested in pediatric plastic surgery, particularly cleft care. So I started doing research in the early 2000s with him, looking at genetic diagnoses and genetic influences for cleft and palate. That sprung the rest of your career. It really did. And it's been one thing that built on the next. One opportunity always leads into another. And I trained here as a fellow back in 2012 and 2013 and have been on the faculty ever since. It's great. Well, it's nice to meet someone that's been here a long time because I'm a newbie to Boston Children's and it's always helpful to learn from those that have been here a while. Well, let's talk a little bit about our topic today. I think our audience is curious about what is the true definition of cleft lip and or cleft palate? What's the difference between the two? Can you have one versus the other and or both? So a cleft lip is a division of the tissue in the lip. It can also include a division that goes up into the floor of the nose or into the gums. Cleft lip can be associated with cleft palate, which means a gap in the roof of the mouth. But you can also have a cleft palate all by itself without anything on the outside of the face being affected. Which is why, as a neonatologist, it's very important when you examine a fresh newborn to always inspect their mouth, to palpate, and make sure that there isn't a cleft that might not have been identified prenatally. So having said that, what is the difference in terms of diagnosis for cleft lip versus cleft palate? 
In most cases that we see here, at least, cleft lip is diagnosed prenatally. Usually it can be seen on an ultrasound at the anatomy scan, which is typically performed between 18 and 22 weeks. Cleft palate is sometimes diagnosed when a cleft lip is diagnosed, but sometimes isn't diagnosed until after birth, particularly in cases where the outside of the face looks completely normal because it's hard to see inside of the mouth with ultrasound alone. We often use MRI to confirm the presence of a cleft palate in somebody that we suspect has a cleft lip. But unless an MRI is being performed for other reasons, usually a cleft palate only doesn't get picked up until after birth. Okay. That's why it's so important to do a good exam yes. on every baby. Well, speaking of that, doing a good exam, making sure we don't miss the diagnosis, is this something that's relatively common? Both are actually pretty common. Cleft lip happens in about one in seven to one in 900 babies. And when I say cleft lip, I mean cleft lip whether or not the palate is affected, but a cleft palate only is a little less common and happens in about one in 1,500 babies. The bottom line is we've all probably known a number of people over the course of our lives who've had clefts of all kinds, and we may not have known about it because they've been repaired early in life. Wow. Dr. Rogers, for families that may know someone in their family who has a cleft lip and a palate, or they themselves have a child with cleft lip or palate, or maybe they themselves have it. What are some of the risk factors that we should know about? So they're a little bit different for cleft lip, whether or not the palate is affected. When somebody has a cleft lip, there are some hereditary influences. So if you have a brother, a sister, father, or a child with clefting, it increases the chance for future children. For cleft palate only, it's more often associated with genetic diagnoses, so syndromes, things like Stickler syndrome. We see those in about 40% of children who have a diagnosis of cleft palate only. And so although it's not as often hereditary, we usually have the reason to look for other medical anomalies or for a genetic reason that it's happened. My takeaway point is that if you have cleft palate, you should be looking to make sure there's not an associated medical condition, a genetic syndrome. You know, I have a genetic syndrome, which has a higher incidence of cleft palate, but I myself never ended up with a cleft mm -hmm. palate. But cleft lip is a little bit different. Yes. So it's hereditary within families. There are some environmental things like certain medications that a parent might be taking could influence the risk of clefting. And there are a lot of random variation things associated with it. The bottom line is we can't usually pinpoint one cause for cleft lip, although there are certainly some syndromes that can be influencing factor. It's not the majority of cases super important to know. I mean, this is clearly a diagnosis that I see a lot in my work. And oftentimes when it comes to the treatment plan, there's some things that happen in the neonatal period, particularly focusing on feeding and mm -hmm. the ability of babies to be able to feed on their own. But there's a whole longitudinal treatment plan for cleft lip and for cleft palate. I was wondering if you could share with us what that looks like. Absolutely. I'm going to use the example of a baby who has both just to talk through everything that we do. And so when a baby is born with any kind of cleft, the first thing we really focus on is feeding and weight gain. We usually see the baby in our clinic within the first few weeks of life if they're being discharged from the hospital to make sure they're feeding well. And for babies with a cleft palate specifically, we need to use specialty feeding devices that have one-way valves because they can't generate suck. And then we focus on weight gain over the next couple of months. Sometimes there are certain dental devices that we would use to help bring the parts of the cleft together so that they're smaller. 
if surgery is needed for a child, what ages are parents normally looking at for surgery? And are there any considerations when it comes to the type of surgery? The two big operations that we do for cleft are a cleft lip repair and a cleft palate repair. And we usually repair the lip and nose and sometimes the gums around four months of age. And we do that to balance some of the aesthetic implications of having a cleft, capture some of the early molding ability of the face, the bone and the cartilage in the nose. And we usually balance that by doing it around four months of age. But it can be done earlier or later depending on the situation, the preferences of the family and the preferences of the surgeon. Cleft palate repair is a little bit more time sensitive in the sense that we like to time it at a point where the implications of surgery are as low as we can get them, meaning the growth effects of doing an operation. But we're still capturing the positive benefits of early surgery, which is really to facilitate speech. And so most surgeons do that around 10 months of age or at least before a year of age so that we can really facilitate normal speech because production of a lot of speech sounds takes off after a year of age. And the real goal of a cleft palate repair is to help a child speak normally. So we want to do it early enough that the surgery is going to facilitate that. That makes sense. Speech is so important. For babies that have cleft lip or cleft palate or both, what are some of the associated comorbidities or associated conditions that we need to be looking out for? For cleft lip, most often babies are missing or have abnormal teeth in the area of clefting. And so in many cases, a dentist or orthodontist is involved in their early care to help mold the gums and bring parts together. And then later in life, orthodontics and dental rehabilitation. For a baby with a cleft palate, you may not realize, but the palate is an important part of how the eustachian tubes function. So having a cleft palate can predispose you to hearing loss, frequent ear infections. So care with an otolaryngitis laryngologist is also a big part of early treatment of the condition. It's so important to time surgical repair <laughs> at a young age with speech and hearing being so important for development. I'm just curious, when it comes to the, having a cleft palate, if that affects your eustachian tube, which is the canal, right, that connects your ears and drains into your sinuses, <laughs> what is it that really makes it a complication that could interfere with hearing? So the bottom part of the eustachian tube empties right above the soft palate, and the muscles in the soft palate actually attach to the eustachian tube. They pull on the eustachian tube to help empty it and equalize pressure. That's why if you go up in a plane and you feel like your ears are stuffy, you can yawn or chew gum and help ventilate your eardrums. In a baby with a cleft palate, because the muscles are separated, they're not able to do that. So that means that fluid will build up behind the eardrum or pressure will build up, and those things can impact hearing. That makes all the sense in the world. If things can't flow, then it's very easy mm -hmm. to get infections, like you said, yep. and obviously fluid. Then the child sounds like they're hearing underwater. Yeah. And the two things are related, speech and hearing. If you, you know, just take care of the palate for speech purposes, but you don't intervene for hearing, you're not going to get the best outcome. So treating hearing and speech aggressively is so important. That makes sense. We were having a conversation recently with one of our otolaryngologists, and both of my kids have had eustachian <laughs> tube challenges with chronic fluid, and that affected their hearing, which then affected their speech development. It sounds like in this population of kids, it's important to make sure we're treating that aggressively. When it comes to treatment, it sounds like it takes a big team, right? I was wondering if you could comment a little bit about 
the team that parents should be looking to engage for their child who has cleft lip or cleft palate? Sure. Cleft care is very multidisciplinary, as you mentioned. And so early care is often facilitated by a nurse plus or minus a surgeon. Surgeons are obviously a big part of the first year of life in terms of repairing the cleft, but also feeding therapists, otolaryngologists, audiologists, and then as time goes on, a lot of the needs are really fielded by our dental team because both cleft lip and cleft palate have implications for how the upper jaw grows and how the teeth come in. And so much later cleft care in adolescence and teenage years is really focused on dentistry and oral surgery, trying to repair bone that's missing from the gums, trying to put the teeth in the proper place to bite and chew food. All of those specialties are absolutely vital to cleft care surgery is just the beginning of a really long road. Well, I love to hear that. A whole team that gets to care for your child. And it's really important for parents listening to make sure that they're seeking that Mm -hmm. when they get care, wherever they're getting their care at a place like ours, where we have that comprehensive multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. approach. You know, speaking of dental and orthodontic care, my son just got braces for the first time yesterday as well. So, um, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It's quite an event for families. <laughs> it's the start of a long journey. Yes. Uh, orthodontic treatment is not simple for sure. No, I'm sure it's not simple for any child. So let's talk a little bit about what could be some of the complications of cleft lip and or palate if a child was not treated. So for cleft lip, you might find if you travel in the developing world or just you know, watch TV that clefts can go untreated for the duration of life, and it's not going to shorten someone's life, but it certainly has implications for being able to bite and chew food, being able to socialize and have normal interactions. Cleft palate is particularly difficult, though, if it's not treated early because of the speech implications. Outcomes related to cleft palate repair really depend on the age at which the treatment happens. If children learn bad speech habits, it's really hard to unlearn them even if the palate gets treated later in life. And so that's really the major functional goal of performing cleft palate repair is to facilitate speech because speech is important for everything, interacting in school, having people understand you, getting jobs later in life. And it's probably the one thing that we really focus cleft care on. Yeah, that makes sense. So neither likely to be life-threatening, but we have to really aggressively treat when it comes to palate because of all those other important things we wouldn't want to be a challenge for a child. I'm interested to learn a little bit about the misconceptions that might be out there related to cleft lip and palate. And I was wondering if you could comment on what some of those are that maybe you hear about or you see in your practice. One of the misconceptions that I hear about is that cleft care is one and done, and it just happens in the first year of life, and then you move on. The reality is that what we as surgeons do in the first year of life just sets the stage, but for many kids, it's the start of a long road. We talked a little bit about having dentists and audiologists and speech therapists and otolaryngologists and oral surgeons involved. That doesn't happen all in those first year. That happens over the course of an entire childhood. And And there are certain developmental stages for speech and teeth and hearing and facial growth that we really target treatments toward. But it's something that doesn't end early in life, as I think some people think. So you're telling me there is life beyond the neonatal period. (laughs) (laughs) There is life beyond the neonatal period, for sure. That makes sense. Oh, well, thank you. Are there any other misconceptions out there? 
Sometimes people think that clefts are primarily cosmetic, especially the lip. And while it does impact cosmesis, you know, it affects how the teeth develop, as we've touched on a few times. It affects how people eat and drink and how they hear. And so I think cleft goes beyond just the surface. And another thing, too, I just imagine as a person with a disability who has children with medical complexities, I think a lot of folks who don't know a lot about a diagnosis sometimes make assumptions related to cognitive impairment or learning disabilities. And I was curious if there's anything that you'd like our audience to know about the association of cleft lip and or palate with other disabilities. Cleft lip and cleft palate alone don't impact intelligence or how a child functions in life, although they can be associated with syndromes that do. There are many famous people who have a history of clefts. I'm not going to name any names, but some have won the Super Bowl. And you you can function really well. And so I think the speech and aesthetic implications of clefting can cause people to make some assumptions about the individual that aren't necessarily true. I think that's really important for our audience to hear. Thank you. One of the things that I also like to ask all of our experts, being at Boston Children's, where there's so much research going on, what research is going on right now in the field of cleft lip and cleft palate that you think our audience should be aware of? So there's a ton of great research going on, including research studies that we're participating in here at Boston Children's. One of the big ones that we're participating in is a speech outcome study. So one of the unknowns in cleft care is how certain techniques or certain maneuvers during surgery impact a child's speech later on. And we're one of about 20 collaborators on a study called the Cornette Speech Study. And that's a study led out of the University of Utah, recruiting thousands of patients to understand how the things we do during surgery impact future speech when the child is three and hopefully beyond if we can get the funding to do that. The other thing that we're doing a lot of here at Boston Children's is simulation-related work. That's something that I've been very involved in, both in terms of how to teach cleft surgery, but also how to assess a surgeon or a trainee's ability to perform the repair. And we're even moving out into the global surgery realm, trying to find lower cost interventions to teach cleft lip and cleft palate care, hopefully abroad. Well, obviously I love simulation. It's near and dear to my heart. And I love to hear that you are a simulationista and utilizing the tools to help train others. And I just think that's fabulous. I am actually really curious because I've seen some of your trainers and I know that the low cost model has so much use and benefit because A lot of simulation technology is expensive. And if you think about the fact that this is such a common condition in kids and the need to intervene surgically, especially with cleft palate, as you were saying, I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about your goals when it comes to the lower cost trainer that you're working on with us. So I'll tell you a little bit about our history and how we got started to show why we are where we are. About eight years ago, when Simpedes was working with a special effects company on some soft tissue simulation, it was obvious that would be a great way to simulate cleft lip repair specifically. And I was really interested in lip because it's a particularly hard operation to teach. Cleft palate repair is a little easier to teach because there are two sides of the palate. The details aren't quite so microscopic because the child is older. But for a cleft lip, you're usually operating really young and even half millimeter details 
really matter a lot to the ultimate outcome. And so we started working on a really high fidelity trainer back in 2015, did some studies on it. And the conclusion of everything that we did was really that there were a lot of bells and whistles that probably weren't necessary for most of the teaching we do with residents and fellows. And so we took a step back and worked together to design a simpler trainer that taught some of the specific maneuvers we wanted to get across to an early learner. We're starting to use that trainer regularly in our education program here at Boston Children's, but we've also had the opportunity to collaborate with a cleft NGO to use that as part of their teaching platform for some of their comprehensive cleft care workshops abroad. And wow. so that's where things stand right now. Wow. So you're going global <laughs> with simulation, which makes me very proud. And I just think that's fabulous because not only do you and your team take such amazing care of the patients here, but you're helping to expand that ability to provide great care all over and teaching the next generation, yes, which is absolutely really fabulous. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I just want to clarify a few things since oftentimes as we're talking doctor to doctor, it's easy to start using acronyms. I was wondering if you could remind our audience what an NGO is. Oh, thank you so much for asking. An NGO is a non-governmental organization, which in cleft care, they're typically charities that do things like provide education around cleft lip and palate, provide training for surgeons, sometimes provide surgery or things like bottles to families who are dealing with cleft. The organization that we've been partnering with around simulation is called the Global Smile Foundation, and they do everything from provide operations for children in developing countries to teaching how to develop multidisciplinary teams at their own center and how to provide cleft care. Wow, that's really great. And I should probably also tell our audience that you had mentioned Simpedes, which was our name as a simulation program for many, many years. And we recently renamed ourselves to Immersive Design Systems. We like a mouthful here yeah, in it medicine. It's definitely a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make it easy. Oh. All right. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to share with our audience today? One of the things I like to mention is that it's really important for families who are seeking cleft care to look for a high volume center wherever they go, whether that's here at Boston Children's or somewhere else in the country or in the world, because like many things in surgery, experience matters and there's a volume outcome relationship. There have been some great studies about cleft care specifically out of the UK, where they found that providers treating 30 to 40 children a year had better outcomes than ones who were treating fewer cases. And so for any family looking for a team to treat their child with a cleft lip or a cleft palate, the most important thing is to to look for a center that has a lot of experience. For families who may live somewhere that doesn't have a large cleft team, we care for a lot of families here where they receive their major operations or major interventions here at Boston Children's, and then we collaborate with a local provider who is an audiologist or speech therapist or orthodontist to provide some care locally. So there's definitely the opportunity to have collaborative care and coordinated care, both locally and at a major center. That's really important too, I must say, because I feel like growing up having a specialized surgical need, my parents traveled far away from home to get me the surgical care, but then they had obviously a lot of other care that I needed to obtain locally. And it was really key for my surgeon to talk and collaborate mm -hmm. with my local care team. So it's great to know that we do that here too. So now on to doctor's orders. This is the part of the episode where we learn a little bit about steps that you can take to help raise healthy, happy kids. And so Dr. Rogers, I was wondering if you had any 
doctor's orders for our parents and expecting parents today? Well, I think the most important thing to know is that clefts are more common than they probably realize. And so if you're a family facing a prenatal diagnosis of a cleft or the unwelcome surprise at birth that your child has a cleft, there's great care available and your child can live a very happy and healthy life despite the diagnosis. I think those are really powerful words for all of us to hear. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Boston Children's Answers Kids Health. And a special thank you to our parent, Hannah, and of course, our clinical expert, Dr. Rogers. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for our next episode. Have a great month and see you next time.